This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 51, Toolbox Episode. Does buy and hold work? Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious. Be stable. Be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everyone, to our latest episode of our podcast. Um, I'm your host, Holly Bach, and with me here in the studio today is Katrina Willis. Hello. And Mark Willis. Hi. All right, so we are coming to you guys here today with another Toolbox episode for you, so you can have that in your tool belt. Um, And what we want to talk about today, kind of in line with our whole objective of um, the Toolbox, is, you know, kind of taking these, you know, greater financial concepts or terms or phrases and kind of boiling them down into, um, I guess, kind of everyday language, and then also, you know, shedding a little bit of light maybe in some dark corners that are, are hidden in these strategies and concepts and that sort of thing. And so um, today we wanted to dive into this idea of buy and hold, okay? And so um, one of perhaps maybe one of the most repeated truisms in mainstream traditional you know, financial wisdom is that you should buy a certain stock or bond and simply hold it. Just hold on to it. Just keep chugging along and just buy it, hold it, buy it, hold it. And that's just kind of the whole strategy. And so index funds, ETFs, you know, really they're all sold with this big idea that you'll never sell them. You'll let them grow for 40, 50, 60 years. Um, And I think, Katrina, you had kind of worked up a definition for us. So, you know, how is buy and hold defined? Well, shamelessly, I stole it from Investopedia, but buy and hold refers to an investing strategy that's practiced favorably by passive investors. An investor using a buy and hold strategy actively selects stocks, but once holding a position, usually ignores the day-to-day and maybe even month-to-month fluctuations in the stock's price and technical indicators. The investor lets his or her money increase with the growth of the overall market. And so buy and hold strategy may also have tax advantages as long-term investments are usually taxed at a lower rate than the short-term investments. Yeah, so we've talked a lot about uninterrupted compound growth in previous episodes. That's a that's a big topic. I don't think it should be understated. Again, mm-hmm. if Einstein was kind enough to call it the eighth wonder of the world, then we should at least pay attention to that idea. Uh, and in this episode, we're talking about the problem of breaking compound growth, and of course the the myth or the poor advice that's often shilled on uh, average financial. Uh, blogs and articles, magazines, and of course, Wall Street itself. So if you don't think that you've been influenced by this idea of buy and hold, uh, please please know, just know that you are. Uh, if you've ever been told uh, that you're supposed to stay the course, if you ever heard that, when markets are turbulent, if anyone's ever told you that, hey, just don't look, don't look at your 401k <laughs> when, uh, when markets are pr- plunging or when things are getting volatile, Uh, You're under that influence that Wall Street has been pushing and supporting for decades. Uh, But of course, in, you know, average financial wisdom of our grandparents and great grandparents, it wasn't always that way. So, you know, you can read, pick up any book at the local bookstore if those are still around or on Amazon. And you can sort of look through this uh, lens to find the words buy and hold or something similar to it in just about everywhere you look. In magazines, financial articles you come across online, they all push the same idea 
that essentially should just look the other way when the abuse starts. Now, um, you know, I don't, uh, I don't know if there's like uh, a part of Wall Street that's been able to sort of lure us back in after the financial crisis, but I sure see plenty of people, average Joes, jumping back into the gravy train of this upward bull market we've been on for the last eight, nine, ten years. Uh, so, you know, you can read it. I just quickly Googled uh, three stocks to buy and hold for the next 50 years. Uh, that's the title of uh, a recent Motley Fool article. Uh, Dave Ramsey's website, he says, you know, Dave prefers a buy and hold approach with a long-term view of investing. Now, what sounds wrong about that, right? If, if good old Dave is good enough to uh, bless it, shouldn't it be true? <laughs> uh, but there are some folks who are starting to wake up to the problems with buy and hold. You know, um, you know, Wall Street Journal recently wrote an article, uh, everyone is a buy and hold investor now, but can you stay that way? Okay. Uh, Barron's article recently uh, published titled, Buy and Hold Looks Like a Losing Strategy. Now, they're kind of the off flyers and who's, who isn't, you know, uh, guilty of putting out a, uh, you know, an article on one of these magazines to get more eyeballs to look. Uh, so it's, you know, it's that, it's that uh, sort of attraction to the unique that gets people to look at some of those articles. But even Warren Buffett once said, our favorite holding period, meaning holding a stock, our favorite holding period is forever. <laughs> All right. So that's, that's, I think if no one else could say it like Warren, I think he says it best. Mm -hmm. And, and of course, you know, right, that, that is not like necessarily an erroneous statement. You know, the best holding period is forever because yes, it is. <laughs> However, the, the reality though, is that that can never be the case. You know, really only companies and organizations um, are the ones that would even have the ability to even get close to that, you know, kind of the, this idea of holding on to it forever because they're not tied to an individual life or an individual lifespan. Whereas mm. for kind of the average Joe, the average person, that can never be the case. Your holding period wow. can never be forever because you have a finite life and even more finite, well, not more finite than your life, but, you know, retirement's coming before you know, the end of your life, most likely. And so that's going to happen a lot sooner. So when Warren Buffett is saying, wow, like really the ideal holding period is forever. And then realistically, you're like, well, about the most I can do is 30 years, yeah. you know, where most people don't even start thinking about their retirement till they're 50 and they want to retire at 70, 20 years or worse, you know, like that 20 is a whole lot less than forever, mm, you know? Wow. So if forever is the standard and 20 is about the max we can do, maybe that's where the strategy starts to falter a little bit. So Holly, I got a pop quiz question for you. I don't know if you know the answer or not. So uh, uh -oh. recently the World <laughs> Bank estimated how long people hold their stock. All right. Uh, so mm. uh, do you have a guess <laughs> on average? Pull that one out. Yeah. How long does the average person uh, hold their stock for? Um, is it like a year? Uh, four months. What? Wow. Yeah. Okay. I thought so, it would be like a yeah. year or less. Mm -hmm. So I no, went on the high end on. of my, yeah. my guessing. Well, and back in the 1960s, and back in the 1960s, it was eight years. Wow. Okay. So we've come from eight years to four months. And now with high-frequency trading, if you count those transactions, it's oh, down to about three minutes. Brings uh, the average yeah, way yeah. down. <laughs> but the real human beings are doing about four months of buying and holding. Mm -hmm. So even that, I don't know if uh, Americans might say they believe in buy and hold, but in reality, we're buying and selling, buying and selling. And usually all at the wrong times, of course. We buy high and sell low, of course. 
so, you know, and it's, it's, it's all over the place. And I don't mean to pick on any one person, but I'll just pick a recent best-selling book. Um, you know, Tony Robbins, he's, you know, he has a lot of great things to say. He's changed a lot of people's lives for good. Uh, but he's influenced by this same myth of buy and hold. He recently bo- wrote a New York Times best-selling book called Unshakable. And from Tony's own website, he, he has this little legal disclosure at the bottom, and he says, Tony Robbins is the chief of investor psychology at Creative Planning, Inc., and he's an SEC-registered investment advisor with wealth managers serving all 50 states. Mr. Robbins receives compensation for serving in this capacity based on increased business derived by creating creative planning from his services. Okay, so, you know, who's going to fault a guy for making money on the work he does, right? But it's important to remember who's getting paid for the advice they're giving you. That's the key there. If you ask a barber if you need a haircut, you can bet what his answer is going to be. Right. So, uh, you know, he is financially compensated to push this Wall Street model. And again, I don't believe many people or especially not everybody who reads his book even realize that. And I bet even fewer people who listen to him on the radio, on his podcast, at his conferences, understand that about Tony. I mean, again, nothing against him specifically. He's out there to make a living and to, you know, he's doing what he believes is right. Uh, But is it right? Let's look at the math. You know, let's let's take a look at this. And so even in his own book, and again, this is something that you could find out from just doing your own due diligence. But in, uh, in chapter two, he says, uh, he says, hey, you know, you should buy and hold. And then he says, hey, look, you know, I've got news for you. And I'm quoting here, but I've got news for you. We do know when winter will arrive. And he's talking about financial winter, the idea that there are seasons in everyone's financial portfolio. You have growth in the summer and spring and then fall, and then winter, of course, is the, the bad times of your financial portfolio and market corrections and recessions. And, you know, that 2008 was simply just another winter, so to speak. So he says, but I've got news for you. Uh, we do know that when winter will arrive. So how? how? How do we know? Because when we look back at the stock market over an entire century, we discover this or- extraordinary fact. Financial winter comes on average every single year. And that's on his page 27. So he says later that Wall Street has, on average, lost 14%, uh, at least temporarily, throughout the course of the year. Right, Holly? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that there's actually a bear market, on average, uh, or, and a bear market of 34% happens um, every three to five years. And again, this is just winter, and you should just stay the course. Um, but actually, we would argue, no, <laughs> that's not acceptable. It's not acceptable to, or we don't want to accept the fact that we have to experience 14% loss every year and a 34% loss every three to five years. Yeah, 14% of your money was in your wallet and being stolen on your ride to work every year. Would you find a way to keep that from happening? Wow. Yeah. I mean, why why is it any different with our retirement savings? If we knew that, you know, if we were going to try to protect our money in our wallet, isn't it just exactly the same if, if whether Wall Street is taking the money out of our pocket or some guy with a mask or in a gun or whatever? Uh, you know, if you came home from work every day and you stepped on a nail, wouldn't you find a way to avoid that nail or get rid of it altogether? Why is it any different with our retirement savings? Man, it's so true. In, in 2008, we were sitting and I watched Lehman crashing on TV. And I listened to the Dave Ramsey show that day. And all the people had been told, buy and hold, buy and hold, buy and hold. And they're calling in shrill, freaking out. And Dave was just, you know, calm under pressure. He's like, just buy and hold, just buy and hold. Everything's going to be fine, children. Buy and hold. And it wasn't fine. And it wasn't winter. 
It was like, what did you call it before? The something apocalypse? It was like blizzard. Snowpocalypse snow or something. Yeah. <laughs> it was not just quote unquote winter. Um, and, you know, and he still holds that same mm-hmm. dictum to this day. So it's, it's really interesting to hear the people that do buy and hold. And I, I can't see how they can make an argument that that benefits anyone when you look at the long-term losses involved over time. You know, you're better using a lower rate, steady compound growth than having that level of volatility. It's, it's crazy. Well, and I just want to read what he says again, because I think it bears repeating. He says, Wall Street, this is Tony Robbins, on, Wall Street has on average lost 14% every year, at least temporarily throughout the course of the year. So what he means there is it's dropping and then it's bouncing back at mm-hmm. some point. Now, mm-hmm. we've already had that happen this year. In February, there was some turbulence. And so every year there's a, a something that we can count on over the last century to lose 14%. And then every three to five years, on average, we're going to lose 34% of our money. What? All right. So if I knew that you know we were going to go to sub-zero temperatures every year, wouldn't I want to grab a coat? <laughs> Maybe build a fire? <laughs> Underground layer. You know, do I have to expose myself to the, the risk of winter if I know it's coming? Shouldn't I prepare myself for that? And the problem is with uh, with Wall Street is we just don't know when that's going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and the problem with losing 14% a year and 34% every three to five years is that you have to earn a lot more than that just to break even. So if you lose 50%, you can't just grow you know that money by 50% to get back to even. If you only had $100 to start, you lose $50. And so mm-hmm. now you're down to $50. Mm-hmm. If you grow that amount of money by 50%, you're only back up to $75, mm-hmm. not the original 100 that you started with. So the problem is that the bad years hurt a lot more than the good years help. Wow. Okay. So when we buy and hold, we're we're choosing to just ride that downward trend. And like we said in the last episode, it's those... It's, it's learning to be protecting against the downside risk to give yourself better upside optionality, mm-hmm. you know, to give more opportunity to the good and to, to let less of the bad leak out of your system. So, you know, as we're thinking about this inevitable winter and this fallacy of buying and holding, again, um, I'm not, you know, pointing indi- anyone individually out. They're all preaching the same uh, message. They're all singing the same song. Uh, but I want us to stop and think, is it really true? And, you know, just because a Pied Piper is singing a certain tune, do we want to follow him? I don't I don't know. I don't think so. So, you know, having something that's protected from market downturns uh, helps, I think. You know, and, and honestly, as I was looking more into this idea of annually losing 14% on average every single year, I started even temporarily, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Even if it bounced back the very next day, if it went down 14% and up 14%, we just learned that that doesn't mean the same mm-hmm. thing, right? You, you didn't break even. You're, right. You right. lost you're money. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, if you just look at the graph, it looks like you're back. Sure. But you you have to run the numbers. You're not right. back. Mm-hmm. No, volatility is going to make a big difference on your average rate of return. So I was thinking about this this morning. So if, if I need to go from work to home mm-hmm. and I go in a straight line, mm-hmm. that's a certain distance. And I only need a certain rate of gasoline or a certain volume of gasoline. Okay. If I need to stop at the grocery store and the postal postal service office and the library and need to go uptown to pick up my daughter, does that change? That's volatile returns, right? I'm going to various places and then I come home. Does that mean I spend more gas? I mean, I still went to the same destination ultimately, but I ended up spending a lot more fuel and losing a lot more efficiency overall because of all that volatility. 
And it's the same with our market returns. If we have a straight line projection from today till when you're 65 years old or whatever, you don't need, if you don't have any volatility, you don't need as high a return to get there. But, but if Mark, you do have a lot of vi- volatility, you do. But Mark, a straight line is so boring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to live my life. Well, all right, go for it. Mm. So take take that big <laughs> pile of money. Just don't go crying to him when yeah, it goes yeah. on. <laughs> take that big pile of money and hand it over to me and I'll see what happens. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, all right, so what if what if we took a closer look at that 14%? Okay. If, if you knew, for example, that your money was in a 401k or an IRA, um, and you knew that this 14% was going to happen every single year at least once, what is the point of staying in that 401k? You know, if, if your main point to stay where you are in that money, uh, in that 401k account, was to avoid a certain early withdrawal penalty, um, what's the point in staying in that 401k if you know you're going to lose that money anyway? But I get a match. Yeah. Let's, let's kind of think about this from like a simple perspective. If I've got hundred grand in a 401k, okay, and if I take that money out today, I'll be taxed on it. And if I'm younger than 59 and a half years old, I'll also get a 10% penalty. So, you know, I'm going to get taxed anyway though, right? So in retirement, that money is still taxed. Mm-hmm. But after age 59 and a half, my 401k no longer has that pesky 10% penalty on it. And now I can get my money out with taxes, but without that early withdrawal penalty. So now uh, let's zoom back to our current age. Let's say you're 40 years old. And again, you have $100,000 in a 401k. You know about the taxes. You know what's going to happen either now or later. And the, you know that's another conversation. But if we're just keeping our money in the 401k to avoid that 10% penalty, and now we've just realized that on average, we're going to lose 10% or more every single year. What point is there in keeping your money in a 401k uh, just to expose it to an annual winter of 10 to 15% loss? Take the money out if you want to, and then put it in something that will never have a loss ever again. And you give yourself some protection, a coat around your money for, <laughs> for every winter to come. So, you know, if you could find a place to put your money where it would grow in a straight line rather than a roller coaster, not only would you need a lower rate of return to receive the same increase in your cash, since, you know, like we talked about with the with driving home, the volatility impacts your average rate of return in a negative way. But you have safe and predictable results when you put your money in different places. So again, we're, we're back to that old adage that where your money lives makes it do different things. And if you could count on that growth happening every year without fail for the rest of your life, imagine what you could do. Imagine what would be possible. So, you know, Holly, um, give me some feedback on that. Any thoughts on anything on the uh, 10% early withdrawal penalty or anything about that straight line projection? Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, it's it's hard. And we've talked about this in other episodes in the past, but I feel like there's just this interplay of, of kind of like facts and logic and emotion, um, especially when it comes to people's money, right? I mean, money is very emotional. Even the people that try and, you know, kind of put on a hard face and say, no, this is just about the numbers. This is just about my rate of return. No emotions involved. Well, first of all, they are, you know, we see that with the four month thing, mm. you know, people only holding their money for, for four months. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess, I just kind of think about, you know, as, as you're describing that, you know, think about this straight line versus the roller coaster. And I just can't help but think about the emotion involved. And, um, you know, if you're going to end up at the same destination, you know, that's just, you just, just say, you know, both ways going to get you to the same place. Um, you know, 
why wouldn't you just take the straight line? Why subject yourself to those ups and downs? And just like you were sharing um, earlier, you know, there's actually been research that's been done. People that experience great volatility actually have shorter lifespans. Mm, so why yeah. don't you, you know, live longer, enjoy your money longer, and just, you know, do do the straight line method and, and not have to worry about all that, that up and down. And um, there's a lot of ways, you know, from an emotional standpoint, it makes sense. And then also, I mean, we're, you know, doing our best to bring to light a lot of ways in which the logical and the number side of things, this makes the most sense too. Um, when you look at these losses that people are sustaining um, on, you know, an annual basis, not just every couple years, this is every year there's a dip, um, you know, whether it bounces back or not, you know, there's still that, you know, there, that, that dip at some point throughout the year. And so just things to keep in mind and, you know, kind of the the logic and the emotion um, and you can save yourself on both ends <laughs> yeah you know with a more sane strategy and yeah well you know it's just about what kind of life do you want to live and for those that want the the bounce around the pinball machine for their financial life go for it I'll do that with a little bit of my money but not the stuff mm -hmm. that I would love to be able to use and enjoy and, and see again someday so where do we yeah I've, I'm, I have a question about active management so if you're not doing buy and hold and you're in mutual funds or ETFs or whatever um, isn't the the only other real option to do the active route? Well, yeah. If you're if you're only thinking about that asset, if you're only thinking about Wall Street and equities and stocks and bonds and mutual funds, yeah, it's either buy and hold or active. And I guess between the two poisons, you might want to choose a more passive route. Just overall, um, you know, we see that there's most of the time you can outperform an actively managed portfolio with a buy and hold equity portfolio. But what we're talking about today is something totally different, as you right. know. Uh, you know, we're looking at different asset classes. Get all that money off the truck that's just bought and hold, held inside that truck heading toward the cliff and instead put it in some something somewhere where it will grow consistently and safely outside of that, that market risk. Right. It's, it seems to me that there's like this buy and hold horse and you can get off of it on one side and end up in active management. You get off on the other side with safety and liquidity. There you go. With guarantees. Mm -hmm. So it's important to get off on the right side of the horse. Well, well said. <laughs> That's tweetable. So where do we go from here? You know, let's take a closer look at some of these myths that Wall Street has been pushing. I'd love to hear it from someone who's actually been there, you know, uh, you know, through decades of experience with the Wall Street machine. So in our next two episodes, we're going to be interviewing a Wall Street insider who has come clean. He's come, come to the truth. He's come to the realities. And he's here to share with us the realities of the broken promises of Wall Street, uh, what Wall Street has been pushing on America since, well, really a long time, but especially since the 1960s. So I can't wait to show and introduce you to this gentleman. And I think you'll find a lot of value in those episodes. Absolutely. So we're excited to share um, his insight and his thoughts with you guys next time in our next two episodes. But we'll go ahead and wrap up today. So thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.